You're visiting the mom next door and our stories of faith. I'm glad you dropped by for a visit. Please stay a while and hear what the Lord has done in the lives of moms just like you and me. So I'm back with my mother-in-law, Louise, and I'm really excited because today we're going to talk about teenagers and even as we start chatting, she started something and she said she's saving it to surprise me while we talk here. She said, I'm going to be really surprised. So we're just going to jump right in to have parenting teenagers. And she just had a lot of wisdom in her parenting years. And again, I know the foundation of that is knowing the Lord and going to his word to have direction on to how to parent these teenagers. And so I don't know where we want to jump in exactly. Um, just home life is a really great way, great place to jump in. Well, I said at the very beginning of the last time that I would enjoy children at all ages, and I did. I loved my teenagers. And um, I remember somebody saying to me once, I can hardly wait my kids are out of the house because I can't stand my 16-year-old or whatever it was. And of course, there's you've heard all kinds of comments about teenagers and all of that, and I... I never felt that way at all. I loved my teenagers. I had fun with them. We went shopping together, and I had friends who never could do that, and um, I could never figure that out. But I do remember one thing that was really interesting, and I don't remember why we were even on the subject, but I remember announcing to the children that they were, I had been a deaconess, and my husband had been a deacon at church, and that they were deacon and deaconess children. And that once you are that, you are forever that. And that, that with that comes a certain responsibility that you have to live up to. Because the responsibilities are the same as a pastor. And I remember saying that and my husband saying, you're exactly right. And I don't know necessarily the res- you know, that what my children thought of that. But they had to know that with that comes a certain spiritual responsibility for them. And that's what I meant. So my children knew that they had a responsibility spiritually to live up to, that we did, and we felt that. So that guided everything that they did from then on. But there are other practical things. But that was the thing I was saving for you. Because I don't think a lot of families think that way, even though they may have been a deacon or a deaconess. But we, we did. We felt that way. Well, we're family that represents our family, but in a greater way, we're ambassadors for Christ. Yes. And we are raising our children to represent Christ no matter where they go. And so I think that is, again, expectations um, that we will, we will live for Christ and we will carry ourselves in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, that we talked about um, some of the responsibilities that children have to to respect their name, and we taught them the scripture that talks about your name is worth more, and but that their name isn't their family name; it's God's name. Uh, so we use that scripture. I think some people think it's your family name, but it isn't. It well, it is, but it is more than that. It is God's name. That's the representative that that they're there to be. And um, we required them to go to church with us. Um, 
as long as they were in our home. Uh, we didn't give them necessarily the choice. Uh, I think if they would have disliked such as the youth group or something like that, that we maybe would have changed churches. I don't know. Uh, we prayed about that a lot. What, what would we do? That never occurred, really. So I know one of the things I did was lead a youth choir with all of my children in it, whether they liked it or not, <laughs> kind of, except I think they enjoyed it. So I tried to be as involved with whatever they were doing as much as I possibly could be. Now, I know that though the youth group often sat together and your children attended youth group, I don't think that they sat with the youth group. They did. Oh, they did. Yes, we sat in the second row on the left side of the church, and there was a, there was there was a left and a center and a right with with the aisles. The rule was they had to sit in the second row, the same row we did, so that we could always see them. And I remember once our youngest happened to be with one of the pastor's children, and they had to go home and get something. And I remember the pastor's wife was in front of me, and I said, "Where did they go?" And she said. Well, they had to go home and get something. And she said, they'll probably sit in the balcony. And I said, no, they won't. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, my James can't sit in the balcony. None of my children can. She said, well, it'll be okay this once. And I thought, no. <laughs> and so, sure enough, they showed up in the balcony. And I just turned around and gave my son a look. And within 60 seconds, he was in the second row. And she turned around and she said, how did you do that? And I said, I told you, he can't sit in the balcony. And she, she, well, she had a funny look. Well, scripture tells that, right? It said, I, says, I will direct thee, thee with my, thine eye. Right? With thine eye, yes. <laughs> and the, the, the funny thing, he was college age. Oh, that is funny. He was college age. <laughs> yes, he knew that his place was... <laughs> In the front. Well, that's what really shocked her was, how, why? And he's old enough to be an adult. Hmm. But that speaks to, he has a relationship with you. And that relationship started when he was younger and in how you interacted in your home. I want you to tell them about your family chores and their, what you did with your, um, your children as they approached adulthood. They still had chores. Uh, I will tell you a funny story. Uh, James, uh, the youngest, uh, lived at home for three years. We went to college one year, and then he lived at home for two more years. And all the kids said, hmm, how long is he going to do that? And I said, oh, I just love having him at home. Because I never had to tell him a thing. He did chores anyway. One day I burned my hand. He walked in about an hour later, and I said, I burned my hand. I won't be able to do dishes. I guess they're all yours. He did them for two weeks. Never said a word. And, you know, he was just great. All my kids were like that. They're just so helpful. But doing chores was not a punishment, and doing chores was not, like, beneath you. No, you no. did not, like, send them to do the chores while you sat and did something else just fun you didn't go out with the girlfriends and expect them to carry all the chores so tell them about the senior year every senior year I knew it was their last year to be home they would probably go away to college and so starting with the oldest the senior year was the year that I helped them I actually did the dishes and they would help me and that was every 
of course, lots of times they weren't even home for dinner, you know, they were out someplace. So every night that they were home, I would do the dishes, they would help me, and that would be our time for like half an hour, 20 minutes, half an hour, to, to visit. What was your day like? What did you, you know, what did you do today? How did you, you know, what is your plan for tomorrow? How's homework going? Whatever, for the whole senior year. It was our time to spend together. And it was, it was so rewarding. And they loved it because they didn't have to do much. I did everything. And so they just kind of hung around and, you know, watched this and watched that. And, you know, maybe nothing. So, um, and they loved it. And, of course, all the other three kids liked it because they didn't have to do anything. And then, and that is, yeah, they could learn some life skills in that yes. also as they prepare to leave. That's yeah. great. Yeah. And the fun, the fun thing was that it was my gift to them. They didn't really have to do anything. I felt it was a gift. And it was a gift to me because I got to spend time with them. And uh, I, I just it's, it was rewarding to me to spend the time just loving on them. Well, you know that time is limited and they are getting ready to, to head out. So it is. It's good for the mama heart at that point in life as you, as you prepare for that. And um, so another real pivotal point in a teenager's life and that road to freedom is getting their driver's license. So tell me rules or guidelines or how did you set that? I know a lot of people ask me that because I have a few that I've gotten for to that stage and people have asked me how did you navigate and I I can say that one thing is that is where if you have not been a praying mama before that's where you will get a little more serious about prayer because you realize that this is beyond you when they drive down that driveway you realize that you're not there and you are going to trust God um, for them as they make decisions and as they drive down that road well, the, the rules that we made was that they could only have one other person in the car with them unless it was a sibling. So they could have one other person plus one sibling, usually. They didn't usually all go with, uh, with a bunch of kids. They never could be a bunch of kids. So they couldn't fill the car with three other others. They could have one other person that wasn't a sibling. So they could have one sibling and one other person. And that was, that was it. And they had to be in by a certain time. We had a curfew for them. And we always had to know where they were going and, you know, when they were going to be home. So it was pretty strict. The boys each had a truck when they were old enough. But the truck was ours. So I remember my one my one son, had he went really slow over the speed bumps at school. And one of the kids said, why do you do that? And he said, well, this isn't my truck. Yes, it is. No, it's my dad's truck. And I have to take care of it. So I'm going slow over the speed bumps, and that's just what I'm going to do. And they're like, wow. Because he said, if I do something wrong, I lose the truck, which was actually true. But they were just shocked that that's, you know, that he was so careful. But it was, that's just the way they did. They were respectful. And I think having a truck automatically limits how many passengers. Yes. And with the boys, with the girls, they had to share a car. So the boys were very fortunate. They each had a truck by the time they were old enough. And so they knew. And they I don't think any of them, I think the trucks only held two people at that time. So Unless you loaded them in the back. In the back. And, and we did were, do that in those days, but that would have been frowned upon yeah, they with your rules. Yeah, they, with our rules, that would not have worked. So. And that was a lot, that was different too. That was before cell phones. And yes. so 
it is important to have also left where you were going to be and yes. and all that. It took a little different amount of work in those days. And so you didn't really have issues with them following through and o- obeying and being where they needed to be. They had jobs. Yes, they had both had jobs. They both had jobs. Um, we, ha- we had some issues with dating, but not very much. Uh, with Andrew, we did. That's my husband. But that was, and I think that was after high school. That was the next year after high school, but not, not too much. And by then he had a car. He bought a car. So, you know, there were some issues. with. So let's go back. Well, the car and the dating is where sometimes it gets a little rocky, right? Yes, Yes. it does. Yes, that's the thing. So if you go back even further to as they approached that dating age, how did you prepare them? And how did you prepare yourself for realizing I'm old enough to have a child who can be dating? And and what am I... What's my role as a parent? How am I supposed to approach this as a parent now? Well, I know with the girls, I just remember with a lot of it was we told, I, I told stories of when I was, you know, thinking of dating myself. And one of the stories I told to my oldest daughter influenced everything she did, which I didn't realize. The interesting thing about children is they start making decisions long before we think they do. She actually told me that when she was in third grade, she decided who she was going to marry. Not necessarily the person, but the type of person. Because when I was 12, I decided, that's when I accepted Jesus, but soon after that, I decided I would not marry anyone who did not know Jesus himself. And that I would not date anyone that I would not marry. So I would not just date, in, you know, indiscriminately. But if I wasn't going to actually marry the person, I was not going to date them at all. So my husband was my second date. So she she took that as her as her thing, and I she told me that much later in life. And I thought third grade, my goodness, I had no clue that that was that she would do it so young. And so my advice to you is. That you teach, I mean, she said, and I was going to marry a virgin. I didn't know what that was, but I knew it was good. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> so, I, you know, she, I just, all these things. And I, so I'm, my advice to you is when your children are young, you teach them that it should be someone who knows the Lord. Someone who has the same likes and dislikes that you do. Uh, that you talk about a lot of things. And I told my children, I said, you know, when we were dating, we talked about what would happen if you couldn't have children. Would you adopt? What would you do? I mean, those are things we talked about. And that that's good that you talk about uh, how will you discipline your children? Will you, will you raise them according to the Bible? Will you take them to church? What will happen if something happens to your husband? What will you do? Uh, we talked about all kinds of things as husband and wife-to-be. And they did the same thing my two girls did, and I think my boys probably did too. We talked about what kind of a college student would you be? I just I did that with my boys. I typed them, I sat boys down and I said, So when you go to college, will you be a partying man? Or will you turn out to be a boring young man who comes home after work and plays with the kids? Or will you go out with the guys after work? And you talked about that, I think, if you didn't say it in the children episode, we you said it to me before, um, not allowing your children to do 
at a very young age what you did not expect them to do at an older age. So yes. I, I don't know that we got that on, on the recording before. Yeah. So why don't you step back and talk about yeah. how you prepare for prepare for teenagehood and adulthood even at those younger ages. At younger ages, yeah. At, at younger, you don't allow a two-year-old to do what you don't want to do at 16. But you also don't prepare at 16 what you, you, you prepare at 16 what you don't want to do at 30, which is basically that was my talk with my children was don't, don't do in college what you don't want to do at 40. So in college, if you are a partying person, when you get married, you're going to think that's what life's about. So you're going to be a drinker. You're going to be a smoker. You're going to, you know, you, you think that's what life is. Well, life isn't. So look at your dad. What kind of a dad was he? Do you want to be a dad like him? Or find someone whom, whom you look up to and ask them. Say to them, I, I, really, I really admire you. Tell me about your life. Find someone. I mean, if you don't have a dad, I mean, you may not have a dad. Find someone you look forward to, you, that you look up to. If you don't have a husband in your life right now, for your children to look up to and introduce them to a family that has one. And I mean, if you're a single mom or a single dad, find a family that you really, that you really enjoy, whether it's a grandparent family or whatever, you know, someone. Find someone that your children can look up to and emulate because I think it's really important. And I, I think in this day and age, uh, if you don't live close to your grand, to grandparents, they should have a grandparent to look up to. I think it's really important. Um, I think what you're saying is, in, in the examples you gave us in the episode about children, and then this one too, is you have kept the conversation going. You have been an active part of your children's lives, and you didn't just consider, well, I've done my job, I've, you know, they're still alive, and they're in high school, and now they're going to go on their way. You've always had a desire to know them, to get to know them, to spend time with them, but a big part of that's been talking. Yes. I think I told your husband my love language is conversation. <laughs> that's one of them. I'm sure that was one. That is like gifts, um, touch, uh, I can't remember them all now, but conversation. Yeah, conversation that's, that's, is one yeah, of them. That yeah, might, that might be one of them. Yeah, I think might so. Yeah. Might, maybe me too. Yeah, might be you too. Yes. But, it, but doing that and not letting your children be alone without um, guidance. But as you get older, of course, you, 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 you let them go. And I always, I raised my children to, to take wings, not hold on to them, not try to uh, keep them close to me. If they, they had to move away, they moved away. But always keep contact. That's good. Part of that continuing conversation in your home was also learning to chase after some of the hobbies that your kids had. Not because you were trying to live vicariously through them, but because it was another place to start conversation. Yes, um, I had, well, your husband became interested in science fiction books. Well, it's hard to have a conversation with somebody if you have no idea what he's doing, and I never read one. You were literally on other planets. I was literally on other planets. So I got one of those books. I said, well, I think I'll read one of those. And my husband thought I was crazy, of course. And I described, you know, well, they have green blood and there's no sex and they're, it's good against evil. And it's actually pretty well written. 
And so I'm reading science fiction books and having conversations, and, and it's quite, actually quite exciting. I did that for a while. But, you know, the, the upshot of that was that my friends thought I was crazy, but I was able to have conversations, and we still do, about computers and stuff I really know very little about. But I enjoy that, and we're still friends. And I did that with my other kids, too. I learned a lot about cheerleading about for one of them. And I still do, you know, I make jewelry, and, one, and my other two do that. And sewing, and all kinds of things that, that my children are interested in. And I stayed connected in ways that, you know, no one would even dream. Because I, was, I became interested in each one of them in different ways. And so... Um, you know, I and I'm doing that with my grandkids. You know, I'm texting. The funny thing, the funny thing was when I first got my phone, my friends are like, "You're doing what? I I don't even have one of those phones. How do you know what to do?" Well, and then my grandkids would say, um, "My friends think you're so cool." <laughs> and you're and you're a grandma on Instagram, and you can yes. you know how to text. You you know how to watch YouTube videos and. <laughs> I mean, again, you, okay, so you go back to conversation is your love language and often how to meet young people at high school, college, um, young adults is to connect with their love language. And so learning to communicate through these media that they use is important. Yes, it is. Yeah. And, and I really enjoy, uh, I would not have the connection if I didn't. I mean, on my Facebook and I don't post a lot, but I do a little, and I don't know how to do everything, but... And they I know that. They know. Yeah. Gra Grandma's stalking them. Yeah. They know that. <laughs> they know that, yes. So, you know, I don't know how to do everything, but I do what I need to do. And, you know, and I, I think it's important that we stay up with our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. And I, I would encourage all of you to not drop out, um, you know, not... Not stop doing that. I think it's important to keep that connection as much as you possibly can on your side, to visit them, to have communication with them, to learn how to do the things that they do that they're interested in. Stay interested. Um, you have input into their life. I know when my husband died, I felt like I didn't have a purpose. And my grandson looked at me and said, yes, you do. You do have a purpose. And I was so appreciated that because he could tell me that and know that I would listen. If I didn't know him, he couldn't tell me that. And I think we're always learning. We're, we always should be teachable. And the fact that uh, nearing 80, right? Right. <laughs> At nearing 80, you can still say, I don't know everything. I'm teachable. Show me. You know, right. that's that's awesome. So the other place I wanted to take you is just asking, okay, so now we have a teenager and we've gotten through graduation and maybe they're at college or maybe they've graduated from college and we're coming to that age when our teenager or young adult in their 20s or maybe even 30 has met that special someone and they are going to bring them home to meet. And would you have any advice for the prospective becoming a mother-in-law or father-in-law, I guess, at that some point in life? Well, in the first place, when I met my husband, of course, I had decided at the age of 12 that I wouldn't date anyone who I wasn't going to marry. And I taught my children and told them that we were praying for their mate almost from the time they were born. 
that we prayed that God would lead them to the mate and that they all should, should pray the same thing. So when they brought home this person that they had decided was the one they were going to marry, we didn't doubt. I think that's probably the first thing that is in your mind is, is this the right one? And you can look at a sovereign, sovereign God and you can say, yes, this is the one that God has chosen. I don't have to doubt that God doesn't know what he's doing. I never have to doubt. I can always trust God. No matter what I think, I don't have to not trust God. I, can't, I don't have to do that. Um, I think it's scary for all parents to let their children go. It's the eagle with the, with the, little, with the little one that's learning to fly. I think we all, we all see that. But if God can take care of the sparrow, he can take care of your child. And you have to keep remembering that. He does not put those things in the Word by mistake. He puts those there for us to read and see that if he can take care of the, the sparrow, he can take care of your child. You need not worry. He doesn't want you to worry. He wants you to trust. So that would be my advice to you, however scared you are. Because whatever he takes your child for, through, whatever he takes your child through, he takes you through. And your child needs your support, not your worry. <laughs> not your worry. Mm -hmm. And the more that you can support your child in whatever they endeavor to do, that's what you need to do and not question every little picky thing. I think that that is a great point to kind of wrap up is that you, so much of our parenting career is based in prayer and praying for them as they learn to drive, as they learn to establish their own walk with the Lord, as they go into dating and then someday marriage. That is something we can build such a foundation in prayer. And uh, I have a little thing on a wall in a different room and it says, I'm not a worrier, I am a warrior. And I think that we become prayer warriors as we focus on our children. And, and really, God's going to be able to lead them and teach them and guide them when we cannot and when our children are absent from us. So uh, if I get to, before you fly back across the country, I think we're going to do another podcast on maybe prayer and, and mentoring and that type of thing. So these ladies should keep coming back whenever they see your name on my little advertisement. So... Anyway, why don't you or close us out in praying for our teenagers and maybe praying for us as parents as we are parenting teenagers. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again for the family, but we especially pray, pray that you would take care of these mothers and these dads that are taking care of teenagers. They are so precious. They are embarking on sometimes a difficult uh, time of life, the teenage. It's a transition. And so we pray in these times, especially when there are so many different voices coming into them, that they will learn to listen to your voice and that their parents will help to point them in that direction. We pray that you would give them wisdom, Lord. We pray that you would give them kindness toward their teens. Give them a soft voice when they need it, a little bit louder when they need it, but especially that you would give them 
wisdom. Um, give them special words when they're needed and quietness when they're needed, and especially a hug. Teens sometimes don't want to be hugged, so we pray that you would give them your hugs and that, that they would continue to love them clear through their teenage years. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I hope that you've been encouraged or challenged in your faith today and that something we discussed prompts you to grow deeper in your walk with the Lord. If it has, make sure you tell a friend so they can grow along with you. And if you or a friend would like to be a guest and share about God's faithfulness in your life, please email me at podcast at Because when we tell of God's faithfulness, we never run out of stories. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, the